This podcast is brought to you by True Voice. We're bringing you automated win, loss, and no decision analysis at scale so you can find and fix seller blind spots in near real time. With automated customer feedback from every opportunity, you'll uncover what buyers truly care about when purchasing, what your competitors are doing to adapt, and how the experience with your sales reps impact win rates. With this new insight, your sellers automatically receive the right science-backed sales training from Corporate Visions based on their individual strengths and weaknesses. It's time to get more from your win-loss analysis. True Voice moves you from just-in-case to just-in-time coaching and training. Visit us at www.truevoice.io and start winning more today. Hey everyone, thanks for joining me for another edition of Sales Intelligence Weekly, brought to you by True Voice. I'm your host, Ryan Quelder. Authenticity. So uh, authenticity is key when selling. Uh, as a seller, it's your job to build trust and communicate effectively with your buyers. And authenticity is really at the core of that. But, but what does that even mean? What does it mean for someone to be authentic, let alone be perceived as authentic? Authenticity can be affected by the way we speak, the way we dress, and our sales presentations. In this episode, we're going to explore the latest research on how buyers perceive sellers' authenticity in virtual contexts, specifically specifically when it comes to language. And any of you that have heard some of the previous episodes that have gone before can note that from time to time, certain curse words will escape Ryan Queller's mouth. Should you swear? Should you curse on calls? How does language impact your buyer's perceptions? What type of language should I be using if I'm a seller to increase my chance of winning? The great news is uh, we have back your favorite and my favorite cognitive neuroscientist and chief science officer at Corporate Visions, Dr. Carmen, Carmen Simon. Carmen, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for uh, inviting me and uh, everyone, uh, welcome. I'm excited to speak about uh, this topic because um, language is uh, pervasive and um, let's see what we can um, do or what we must avoid when it comes to using specific type of language, especially to impact the level of authenticity that our buyers perceive. Uh-oh, language to avoid. Okay, I feel I feel, I feel something happening here. So we'll, we'll see where we go with this. So in listeners, as you know, we have Dr. Simon on the show each month, right? And in our next few episodes together, we'll be going in, uh, going into and diving into this concept of authentic selling. So I'm excited to talk about this first topic around language and, and how language impacts authenticity. Let's start as per usual. Carmen, tell us about the study. <laughs> Yes, let's uh, let's think about how the study was uh, was set up, and um, I like how you're repeating the word language because if we think that um, we will get some practical guidelines around uh, cursing or not cursing when people do curse and others don't endorse it, you might hear, especially parents, say language. <laughs> I've never heard this in my life. I don't have any idea what you're talking about. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So let's talk about language and authenticity. And um, I like how you prompted us to first think, what is authenticity? So mm. let's start with that broader definition. Then we'll look at cursing and see what is defined as cursing and then how we uh, set up the study and uh, 
some practical guidelines you can extract out of this as uh, that you can use as early as this afternoon. So when I started the study, I looked at authenticity and defined it as the degree to which you are true to your own personality, despite external pressures. I'm sure that everyone, as they interact with customers, they might feel like they have some external pressures, even when you're interacting with your wife or your family, there is some external pressure. To what extent do you stay true to who you are? And I was humble enough through the study and through additional research to figure out that we often hear this piece of advice, be yourself. Mm-hmm. Do you ever hear that that advice? Be yourself? Oh yeah, all the time, right? <laughs> and then your mother probably told you, be your best self, or your <laughs> boss may have told you, it's not just sufficient to be yourself, be your best self. Mm. What I'm noticing is that when it comes to authenticity in business context, there might be another level yet, which is being yourself in the service of an audience, in the service of a buyer. Otherwise, if we only look at authenticity as indulging who you are, key phrase indulging, it might be that you latch on to what feels comfortable to you, but in that process, you may alienate other people. So at some point, it might be helpful to refrain from some characteristics that you are or from some tendencies or habits that you have and abide by some social norms in service of someone else. I'll pause here for a moment to, to get your reactions because I know you you mentioned you have some habits and perhaps some tendencies and um, refraining or restricting some of them may pause some uh, some tension. So, so yeah, um, first I, w- I want to pause for this. What I'm hearing you say, I, I loved how you differentiated between the indulgence versus understanding the um, social context with which you find yourself, right? So I love that. That's excellent. Also, yes, I have heard about be your best self from both my mom and my 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 parents, my wife, I, I everybody. And maybe that's telling me something. Maybe I need to be more aware of my social context, uh, perhaps. But I'm very curious to understand. Um, how did you determine um, if somebody was able to um, contextualize the the circumstances, or how did the study kind of lean into that? What what did that look like? Yeah, so if you if you start with these levels of be yourself, be your best self, and then be your best self in service of an audience, I was then reflecting on what are some situations in which we might have to refrain or tame our habits. It's almost like a, a tiger looking for a cage, not to be imprisoned, but rather to restrict some of its tendencies that might not always be so uh, so healthy, or they might sometimes be harmful. And I was thinking, could uh, could sellers uh, be in need of a, of a cage when it comes to some language that uh, they might have the tendency to use? I wonder if that has been your experience as well in terms of observing that more and more sellers these days are are cursing and feel free enough to curse on, on a sales call. And um, I'm also noticing that authenticity while being the gold standard of any kind of buyer-seller relationship is a bit harder to establish when the setting is virtual because you can sense authenticity a bit better when you're in somebody's proximity, but when miles and screens separate us, then how do you sense that? Even right now, as we're having this conversation, you are virtual, we are not real, and authenticity and being real are so intertwined. So 
how does language then impact a virtual buyer? That was one of the uh, one of the broader questions that we're looking at through this uh, study. And also, I feel like authenticity these days is in dire need of being approached a bit more scientifically because of the advent of AI. Buyers now are more and more used to having AI bots fill websites or write emails or articles or proposals. And sometimes they detect it and sometimes they do not. So that means that as we are colleagues with the machine, at some point we may want to differentiate what's authentic and human versus versus what's not. So we have a bigger responsibility, I feel like, in, in terms of establishing authenticity. So let's look at um, at it from the uh, from the angle of of language and especially cursing. How do we define cursing, first of all? Let's think of cursing as the type of, of language that uh, you use that uh, typically is um, emotionally laden, mm. uh, quite often negatively charged, and uh, considered taboo in, in the most contexts, and, and therefore potentially offensive. Mm. I'm sure that as I'm describing this definition, a lot of people can come up with their, their own examples. Like when you think cursing, uh, I don't know if we can state these, but what words come to your mind? Oh, you know, really heavy words like gosh or darn it. Uh, or <laughs> no, I mean, there's there's the standard set of questions that I think might be uh, censored by, you know, television networks. Right. So uh, and apparently we're getting a note from our producer that says that we can swear on the show. So, you know, but m one of my favorites is shit. You know, I, I that I use that almost interchangeably with almost anything. So personally, that, that's one of my favorites. I love to to hear that because I think most people have their go-to phrases uh, because cursing exists in most languages on the planet. We were discussing a little bit uh, privately before the show in terms of cursing in multiple languages. Mm. And because it is so prevalent and uh, linguistically universal, you have to then agree that it has it would have had to serve some function. Otherwise, it wouldn't uh, exist so so globally. And for so long, I'm sure that our ancestors would have had their own phrases as they stubbed their toes against uh, rocks. And scientifically, it has been shown that uh, cursing does have some emotional and cognitive and even physical uh, benefits and, and good consequences. For example, if we all did an experiment right now and I asked all of us to immerse our hands in iced water, many of us would be able to handle that situation a lot better and to muster through the pain if we are allowed to curse versus people who are not allowed to curse but do the exact same activity. If you are a, a tennis uh, fan and you watch tennis matches and you ever hear people grunt, some will, uh, some players will grunt more than, uh, than others, that too is that uh, that same kind of uh, body reaction in the sense of going and defeating some pain or uh, allowing all that you have to uh, to immerse and, and in some instances cursing is no no different has that been your experience as well when uh, you're using or you're you're engaging in some uh, some good old fashioned curse words oh, oh of course and in, in what i i latched onto there is the defeating of pain so it, it's true so it's there's this like um, my best, my best self when I'm cursing, uh, you know, so if, if, if we're looking at good, better, best in terms of cursing ability is typically when I am negatively emotionally charged. And oftentimes 
there's either physical or emotional pain for me. I think it's probably more physical pain than emotional, but I don't know. I, I need to pay attention to that to see which is which, you know, where I swear better, where I can string them together beautifully. Is it more physical or emotional? Uh, but, but yeah, totally. Um, when, and typically what you would string together beautifully, as you put it, are words related to religion, sex, and uh, bodily secretion. Now that, that we know what your favorite one uh, <laughs> is, those are, are usually the combinations that um, we would engage in as, uh, as we use uh, saltier or more, more colorful language. And um, most people recognize what is mild, medium, and strong. So before mm. we set up the study, we did a pre-study, a pilot study to make sure that what we considered to be mild curse words like uh, gosh and uh, and heck, other people would too. What we considered to be slightly stronger and strongest, other people would agree. And um, in this pilot study, we had B2B participants rate some words in terms of their intensity. Mm. And um, I was uh, intrigued how fairly easy was to reach, it's called the uh, inter-rater agreement, meaning that if you say a word and I say a word and other people are hearing this, they are agreeing that what we said was medium or mild or strong cursing. Uh, usually it takes a while to reach that inter-rater agreement, but for curse words, it was just very, uh, very, very quick. We did not have to struggle too hard to make sure that what we considered to belong in some categories, indeed it did. Was there, was there any, I'm curious, did you, did you do a cross-cultural reach? Um, so for example, you know, somebody in South Africa, somebody in Australia, somebody in England, somebody in China, South, Southeast Asia and the United States, we're going to say different words. Oh, one of my favorites, I, we have family in Montreal, uh, in, uh, in Quebecois, there's a word they use that is tabernac, which is tabernacle, which is a religious reference, which you're talking about. But that is like a very bad square word in Montreal. But if I say tabernacle, you know, to my people down here, they're like, okay, cool. What are, what are you talking about? What, what? So did, was that taken into consideration in, in this study? For the, for the pilot test, yes. So when we created the final presentation that would be part of the neuroscience study, when you show up for a neuroscience study, you want to have the best stimulus possible that has already been pre-tested if, uh, if at all possible. And um, for the pretest, we had people from um, various parts of uh, the world do this inter-rater uh, agreement uh, process. And um, that's why by the time we showed up with these uh, three conditions, mild, medium, and strong, many of these cultures agree that those were indeed medium, uh, mild, medium, and strong. And um, for the words that we chose, we chose them in such a way that they will have been part of a business context. So the tabernacle that you're you're mentioning, it's probably hardly ever the case that you might find that when somebody presents you with a tech solution. It's not impossible, obviously, because creativity abounds. But we chose words that um, would have naturally fit, especially at the beginning part of a solution selling process. Because usually per CVI frameworks that are used in selling contexts, you start a sales presentation by remarking some trends or some shifts in the industry. And when, when things shift in the market, usually those are more emotionally 
charged. And the content that we picked for this was something related to cybersecurity, which already has some negatively valence uh, undercurrents. Oh, and yeah. um, given that context, then it felt natural for the presenter to pick some of these uh, these phrases and say, you will never believe what's happening in the industry right now. Check this out and listen to this and view this other thing and intersperse a few curse words within that. And by the time he got to present the solution and the follow-up, usually people don't curse there unless maybe within the solution, you might use some curse words, curse words that are now from the positive, uh, positive angle. And this is so good, you'd never believe it. But we wanted to see what happens in the beginning as you're remarking some negative trends and some challenges that the customers are having. And that's when the cursing happens. And by the way, the cursing was related to these industry trends and away from the customer. You're not cursing at them. You're just simply remarking some negative things that are happening that will then have consequences on business. I'm so curious. Okay, you, you, you're you spurring on additional thinking here. So was um, the cursing also associated with things that were deemed or perceived in control or out of control? market trends out of control. I don't, I don't have the ability to impact or control. That's something that might be perceived as happening to me versus the language that I'm using or the solution that I'm presenting. I might have more control over was any perception of control or out of control. Did, did that come to play at all? Typically when uh, people use corporate visions uh, frameworks, you're remarking some industry trends that um, eventually you would be able to impact if you're using the solution that is about to be presented to you. So you want to make some remarks that will eventually, if you take them into consideration, will be within your reach. So for example, this person was remarking how, as you're thinking about cybersecurity, there are two ways to handle it. One is in terms of information technology, so IT. The other one was in terms of operational technology, OT. And the reason why you want to have that knowledge is because if cybersecurity impacts IT, some people may lose their jobs. But if in OT, if somebody attacks a physical device like an oil rig, people may lose their lives. Mm. It was around this loss of lives that some curse words were happening. Like this is just so emotionally charged and so important to understand that you cannot possibly do it justice by using some clean language. <laughs> you would have to uh, have a linguistic detour onto a, a darker side. And um, eventually you'd be able to control this if you then use a solution. So to answer your question, you would remark on trends colorfully or not that you eventually can control by using a set of procedures that the seller will then present. Okay. So what did we find? What, what did the study tell you? I'm, I'm dying to know. Yes, I was too, especially since uh, my relationship with, with cursing is uh, an interesting one in the sense that um, I'm a foreigner. English is not my first language. And uh, you asked a very good earlier question, which is, did we look at this globally? And in the study, we did have the opportunity to include uh, people from here, from the US, and also people from Europe. Mm. And we also uh, paid attention to gender in the study because mm. I was to see if some curse words would impact uh, female buyers a bit more differently than uh, than male buyers. 
we uh, hardly ever look at uh, such minute demographics because sometimes we know those are not under your control, but this was, uh, it almost was begging to be, uh, to be studied. So let's summarize the way that the study was set up. So after the pilot uh, test where we agreed that what we considered as mild, medium, and strong, other people did too. So in the study, we had four experimental conditions, no cursing, group one, and then group two, three, and four, we increased the intensity of the of the curse words only during the trends section, um, the challenges section, the introductory portion of the presentation, and then no cursing during the solution and the follow-up. So imagine these three, three segments that are typically part of a sales pitch. And um, what we found is that uh, in terms of valence, which means how much the brain and body enjoyed the experience, the more you increase the intensity of the curse words, the less people liked that condition. Mm -hmm. And um, this was aggregated findings for everybody included and all the cultures included. We can have some, uh, some nuances. And keep in mind that these findings are coming from the tools that we use, which are an EEG cap. So we record an electroencephalogram signal, an ECG signal that we get from an electrode that we place on people's chest. And also on their wrist and uh, fingers, we place a GSR, a galvanic skin response, which enables us to see people have a reaction to a stimulus. And the reaction doesn't have uh, to be always negative. It can be positive as well. But as long as we observe a reaction, then the GSR will uh, will tell us some things. So looking at, um, at valence uh, in particular, we know that the more you're increasing the intensity, the less people like it. And the less people like it, not just in the trends portion, which was the introductory part, which is when you cursed, but also the more that the presentation unfolds, people still didn't like that condition as you reach the follow-up during which you typically ask a customer for the following meeting. I'll pause here to, uh, to see your reaction, speaking of reactions. So what I'm understanding is the more intense or the higher level of this of the curse word, the perceived curse word, or agreed upon, because it sounds like everybody agreed kind of where they fell and what what categories, yes. the less likely they were to respond positively to the word or the context. Exactly, they were uh, in terms of uh, of valence, and we look at this other dimension called uh, arousal, meaning how alert and the way people people are during an experience the more that the intensity increased, the more amped up they were, but in a negative kind of uh, kind of sense. But um, I also noticed that um, speaking of, uh, of reactions, we often look to see whether people have the same reactions at the same time. So we will calculate a synchronization score. And uh, that's called an, uh, an ISC, an intrasubject correlation, where we want to see if people are on the same wavelength in terms of their EEG signals at any given moment. And we were noticing that people were the least synchronized during the highest level of uh, intensity for cursing. Oh, that's interesting. What does that mean? Okay, that that's interesting. What's that mean? So <laughs> when we calculate the score, we look to see if people are on the same, are their EEG waves, their um, uh, EEG uh, frequencies mm -hmm. are similar in a way that is relevant to learning. So if you and I are exposed to the same stimulus, uh, in this case, it was at the presentation on the cybersecurity solution. Let's just say we're looking at um, slide three. And if you and I uh, have the similar EEG waves, then 
we are synchronized in such a way that after the fact, we would have been likely to learn the same things. And usually that's because that synchronization is associated with paying attention to the same things. And um, as a result of that, you have some shared understanding of the same things. But somehow the highest intensity of cursing led to the least amount of this type of synchronization, which then translated into the highest amount of uh, the highest intensity of cursing also having the lowest memory scores after 48 hours. So I would advocate that uh, if that's your habit, be very cautious because after 48 hours, when people are starting to reflect on your content and that's how decisions are starting to be made, the memory is less. So we're introducing risk when we indulge in our most extreme habits of curse words. We are not empowering the people that we're selling to, to remember and give them the, the information and help them learn in a way that will help them make a decision. Am I, am I tracking? Yes, you're definitely tracking. So we had the lowest uh, synchronization scores, the lowest memory scores, and also some um, fatigue that happens during the follow-up segment, because this is not just happening during the portion that you're, you're, you're cursing, it trickles down through the rest of the presentation. Female buyers, by the way, also end up being more tired throughout the presentation when uh, they're seeing this higher level of, uh, of cursing. And uh, you can be cautious about that. But here's the good news for everyone who's listening to this and they're thinking, oh, it would just take so much cognitive energy from me now to be so aware of what I'm doing that this is just a really bad news. You can, uh, you can take advantage of the situation because another twist that we had to the study was that for some buyers, we primed them. And we said ahead of time, just so you know, there might be some cursing in this presentation. Okay. So the results that I just presented were for the non-primed groups, the ones that had no idea that suddenly I'm going to be faced with this, uh, this F-bomb as, as top people are talking about cybersecurity risks. <laughs> Like it totally took me by surprise versus people who were primed and they thought, oh, at some point this person might uh, really uh, indulge their habits. And when you are preemptive about it and you might say something along the lines of, look, I get very excited about this topic. I may get just so much into it that my language might take all over and uh, become a little saltier. Then all of those negative effects were counteracted. Whoa, counteracted. Okay, that's huge, actually. So when you say counteracted, the, the negative learning or the, the lack of learning that happens when yes. they're not primed, it disappears. Yes, yes, yes. Whoa, that's that's actually surprising. I would not have guessed that. Me, uh, me neither, because I would have guessed that a curse word is a curse word. And whenever it appears, especially in a business context, it's like, whoa. I somebody may have told me, but I kind of totally forgot about it anyway. And now here it is. I'm uh, I'm faced uh, with it. But um, it it appears that uh, if you talk about uh, indecent influence, there might be a decent side to it if uh, if you prime the brain ahead of time. So, total side note here. Um, one time years ago, probably twenty years, maybe not twenty, quite twenty years ago. 18, 20 years ago, we were on a family trip and we were going to Lake Powell in Southern Utah. By the way, 
unreal place. Just, it's like being on the moon, red rocks, water. It's weird. It's fantastic. While there's water, I highly, while there's still water in it, I highly recommend checking it out. On our way home, we were in the car and we had a D our sons at the time, DV favorite movie called the sandlot. And it was a DVD. It was playing love this movie. It's totally, it's a totally wholesome movie. You know, it's about kids playing baseball. It's, it's a great thing, but there's one point in this movie where there is a curse word, a single curse word that is said in the whole movie. And Tony, I think he was three or four at the time he's watching this movie and it's about to come to this point in the movie when he, the curse word is going to come in. And he is, my wife and I are sitting in the front of the car, we're driving and he says, I'm going to say it. And we're like, what is he going to say? And the kid comes out and says, oh, shit. And he says it in his high-pitched little kid voice. And we lost it. It was the funniest thing we had ever heard. I almost crashed the car. Lucky that I didn't. But he primed us. He did exactly what you said. Unknowingly, unknowingly, he primed us for that curse word. Nobody was angry. And it was the funniest thing we'd ever heard. What an interesting finding. So how do you go about, I mean, what advice do you have for sellers? How do they tactfully go about priming a, if they don't want to totally overdo and, and cage their, their animal too much, you know, what's, how do they find that balance? How do they go about priming uh, their, their buyers? Let's um let's think about this for uh, for a moment because as we think about the the language that's uh, being used on uh, on a sales call, yeah. first you have to be aware of some other stats that you may have heard from other sources that stem from uh, from big data. Like for instance, these days you have organizations that may record sales calls and uh, they will detect the different uh, phrases that are being used. And uh, I remember reading some stats that uh, were saying that uh, when some curse words are present, they actually impact positively the final sale. So hmm. always be very cautious when you're looking at big data findings and uh, when you have records of millions of calls, because just because one present is very is is one variable is present and it's moving in the same direction with another variable, it does not mean that one variable causes the other one. So from those older studies, don't extract the conclusion that cursing would have caused the close of a deal. Mm, yeah. And in this study, we were very careful to only modify one thing, which was the presence of a few key phrases, keywords, uh, those curse words and modify the intensity amongst experimental groups while everything else was maintained exactly the same. And the reason for that is because if you're after causation, so one variable causing other things, that's one way to go about that. You have to maintain something constant, 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 and only change one thing. So this is why I can confidently say that we have to be cautious because if you want better synchronization between buyers' brains, which will lead to better collaboration and uh, cooperation and shared understanding, desirable dimensions for any sales calls, then the cursing would have gone against that. So we can attribute that causality. So if, uh, if you're not a cursor, then those results will be great news to you. If cursing is part of your, your arsenal and perhaps it contributes to some personality traits that you have and you're proud of. And remember, authenticity is staying true to those personality traits despite external pressures. Then you might use a phrase such as, 
as we're about to uh, listen to some uh, details from the industry and some trends and some challenges, you might also hear me get very uh, intense about those, and that gets reflected in my language, just so I you can uh, be prepared for a few uh, colorful phrases. But uh, but that's me. But I, I and I guarantee that you will still extract some practical things out of what I'm about to say. So something along those lines. I love that. <clears throat> I'm curious. Um, the curse words in in the levels were those common curse words or were these words that might have been different or unique uh so for example uh i there's a couple phrases that will ferrell the actor will ferrell uses in a few of his movies uh ron burgundy is one of one of those funny movies for me and he uses the term zeus's beard by zeus's beard you know which is like a like an exclamation almost could be a curse but you look at that and it's more confusing than it is anything else w tell me about the you don't have to state all of the words, but were they common, well-known curses? Absolutely. Absolutely. Common words. And what intrigued me too, is that, um, especially for people from the U S remember how we compared the U S against, uh, Europe as well. Mm -hmm. They tended to have more of a surprising factor when they heard the most mild ones. So when the speaker may have said something around the words as like a uh, heck or, uh, and my gosh, so <laughs> I think that those might be a bit too mild for, for the business context. And perhaps some U.S. buyers were thinking, look, you're either cursing all the way or don't do it at all because this is just awkward. In fact, just for the U.S. versus Europe, the, uh, the memory for the, the utmost intensity was, uh, was the lowest the people weren't as phased. I think our ears here in the States are a little bit more, more tuned to those. Whereas for European buyers, they will tune into almost any level of, of intensity because I think that that's even less prevalent there. So the element of surprise is, uh, is higher. Oh, that's, that's fascinating. So did I hear that right? And in, in, I may have misunderstood this. Does that translate into the US buyers are more prudish than the European buyers is is that a, an appropriate interpretation or no? Or it could be more towards if we are here in this business context and it's fairly intense and it's fairly high level because these solutions that uh, we are studying are associated with fairly high dollar amounts. So obviously, you can imagine that the the sales context as are of a particular caliber. I think the buyer's brain is and is saying either curse all the way or don't do it in this mild kind of, you know, just uh, tampered uh, uh, fashion because it just doesn't sound right. It just totally takes you by surprise. Okay. I, that's, in other that's... words, I think that an, an F-bomb would be performing a little bit better than a gosh or, or a heck. Okay. You heard it here first. I love that. <laughs> so if you're going to do it, go all in cannonball style, get in the damn pool, right? Don't, don't get in the gosh darn pool, get in the damn pool. Okay. I love this. And prime the buyer ahead of time. And then, the, then you'll be good. Hey, sometimes when I get in the pool and the water is a little cool, I tend to get excited and my emotional response sometimes could include curse words. Be prepared. Okay. I, I love this. So rounding out our conversation here, you know, we, we always, and, and the things that I love about your studies the most is that you, you do these super complex, difficult studies, but you bring them to a very pragmatic conclusion. What do I do? 
right? So priming the pump, priming the buyer is one of those, what do we do? What other advice would you give to sellers that are, that are looking to be, you know, authentic, not, not over the top, not, not prudish and gosh, darn, but that Goldilocks zone of just right curse words, what advice, what other advice would you give them to, to be more authentic when selling? Yes. Let's, uh, let's summarize this because we said um, authenticity is critical in a buyer and uh, seller relationship. It's a little difficult to implement, especially as we're separated from, uh, from people by distance and by screens. And uh, language is obviously one of the ways in which we can establish authenticity and uh, bridge that uh, geographical distance. And if we think about curse words in uh, in particular, know that there is a difference between individual swearing and social swearing. Mm. In your own intimacy, you'll get away with uh, with many things, and um, it may even help you out in terms of uh, alleviating some pain and alleviating some emotional stress. But in a social setting, you have to now think. What is the impact of of cursing? Sometimes people use it to establish some authority. Have you been in those contexts where the person who curses, especially who curses first, might uh, be uh, appearing as a bit more dominant? Sometimes people curse in order to establish some camaraderie. My husband is a pilot, and I feel like that type of group socializes around uh, that uh, more colorful language, the saltier language. But when it comes to buying and selling, be very, very cautious because per our study, there were negative consequences to the utmost intense curse words. And um, you want to avoid those because memory leads to decisions. So when we're observing fewer memories in people's brains, that means you have decreased chances of a decision to be made in your favor. And if you know that you can self-contain that kind of language, at least uh, be preemptive about it in the beginning of the call. And uh, and then you will be uh, indulging your best self in the service of your audience. This was awesome. I loved this conversation. Thank you so much for the, for the study and can't wait to get into the other pieces of the authentic kind of train that we're riding here, where we're going to cover, a, you know, what to wear. Uh, like I said, a little nervous about that one. Uh, I, I may have some problems <laughs> and also live whiteboards and sales presentations, like how to be authentic with our, our dress and also our, our physical motion uh, on, on the whiteboard and in our presentation. Carmen, Dr. Salmon, thank you for being here. And thank you for always taking, making it, making the smart stuff of the world accessible to people like me. I appreciate that to the utmost degree. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. And listeners, we're going to do a part two in just a few weeks with Dr. Carmen Simon, again, on authentic selling. So be sure to subscribe. So you don't miss that episode. In the meantime, for more information and resources, check out the show notes at www primary-intel.com forward slash podcast. And remember, no deal is out of reach. We'll see you next time.